The following podcast is intended for an adult audience only. It contains strong language, strong opinions and themes of an adult nature. So if you are under 18, or indeed difficult to please, this is neither podcast for you. Hello, welcome to episode 6 of Varying Degrees, a BDSM podcast. I am Burns and I'm here with my co-host Hans and we are joined again this month by the lovely Eo. Third time in a row. Third time lucky, mm. although we have been lucky to have you uh, on the two previous occasions as well. What have we got coming today on today's episode? I think we'll probably have a little bit of a catch up. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you guys have uh, had something interesting, a recent purchase that I'm really interested to hear a review of. I've got a couple of interesting bits that were handed to me at a month recently by a mutual friend of ours that I'd like to share with you and talk about. And uh, then we can go on to talking about today's subject, which is going to be what burns? We are discussing kink and sex. And sex and kink? Indeed. And the expectations around it. Do you take kink as part and parcel of your sex life or do you take your kink life completely separate from sex? That's a very good question though, it's a very good question and one we're going to explore together later on I suppose. But first of all, what have you guys been up to since we last saw each other or since we last met here for an episode of Varying Degrees? An interesting purchase you'd like to tell me about Eeyore? Yeah, well the interesting purchase is quite a large purchase. Um... It's well. Let, let's just let's just get it out there. It's a sex swing, and the more interesting bit is a sex swing stand. Why is the stand more interesting than the swing? Well, I think the stand is more interesting than the swing because you can. Well, I suppose technically, if you put a hard point in your semen, you can you can kind of do other bits with it. But um, we we bought the stand as a bit of a dual purpose to use a sex swing with, but also as a shibari rig. Mm-hmm. Ah. So you can use it for tying uh, burns to, or yeah. if burns want to tie you to it, I suppose, that as well is an option. Yeah, mm-hmm. a bit of self-tying as well. Excellent mm-hmm. stuff. So I've got a couple of questions. So for something like that, it sounds like it's going to take up a lot of room. If I was thinking of buying one, how much floor space do I need? Oh, okay, yeah, it does take up quite a lot of room. So I think rough dimensions are like six feet by maybe maybe even getting to nine feet. Um, so it's it's quite a bit of floor space, but fortunately, um, you can basically pack it down into three main parts that are quite easy to to hide away. I'm not going to ask you how much you paid for yours, but you obviously did a little bit of research and looking around. How much does something like this generally cost? You're looking at over two hundred pounds, De- depending on the model you go for and whether you buy a swing with it. Uh, you you know you're looking in the range of two hundred to four hundred pounds. Okay. Also, whether you're buying within the UK, you know, there's quite a few US manufacturers of this kind of stuff and then obviously you've got to pay your import and all the rest of it and your shipping costs so that would potentially push the cost up that bit higher. Yeah, yeah. I mean the, the thing that I think when about that is with any large purchase I think how often do I have to use it to make it worth spending that much money on it mm. and you know that's usually how I justify things. 
But, I mean, I see you guys have already got quite a bit of use out of it. Do you think it's one of those sort of things where the novelty will wear off? or? Hopefully not. I mean, I'll be honest, it was definitely an impulse purchase. I mean, it's something I've looked at stands previously before, but I've never actually purchased because our, our kind of space constraints and like, along the lines of what you're saying is, is it something that you'll use a couple of times you get fed up with? But um, Valentine's Day deal, um, the price of the item was a bit too good to, to refuse. And actually having the item and seeing how how it works for us in terms of how how we can put it together, how we can pack it away, uh, I think we probably will be getting quite a lot of use out of it, especially mm-hmm. because um, you know we, we can use it for the sex swing, uh, we can use it for um, a, a suspension rig, and actually even just using it as a bit of bondage furniture, like mm-hmm. you know, kind of we've got some like suspension cuffs and you know, you could be, there's some creative ways you could be using that. I think as well, it's, it's one of those things where I'm about to see we've had a few people at lunch recently ask us about it, where, where we got it, where they could get one and all that. And you saying that just now just kind of crystallises that it is something that people would be interested in. You'll have a queue at your door before long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be at the front of it, I can tell you now. <laughs> A bit at the front of it, partner in tow. Um, I'll tell you what I've been up to. I've, I was gifted some very interesting items at a uh, munch recently by a mutual friend of ours. Uh, one of them is this uh, lovely leather collar gag that you can see here. It was a bit a bit ropey when I got it, as in, you know, a bit seen better days. But I'd cleaned it up, and um, that's what I've spent my time doing. So viewers can't see this, but I'm holding like a essentially a corset to the head, aren't I? Mm. Uh, pretty much. Um, it is uh, drastically uncomfortable and really, really good for breath play, which is obviously quite an edge kind of play and not something you would just say go and do breath play to people. No, it is, no. There's a, a risk factor in there, but it's a, it's really good. So I just want to do a, uh, a public thank you to the man that uh, gave me that. But the same chap also gave me these two books, which I'm going to give you to look at in a moment. Eeyore, for you, I have The True Confessions of a London Spank Daddy. This mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll just read you the um, bit from the back, the synopsis. The True Confessions of a London Spank Daddy. And I'm sorry, Burns, I'm not seeing you in your section here. My name is Peter. I'm 55 and a spank daddy. I offer a spanking and discipline service to women. Discover an unknown world of sex, spanking and submission. A world where high-powered executives and cuddly mums go to be spanked, caned and disciplined. In this powerful, compelling book, Peter explains how his interest was kindled by corporal punishment while still at school. Chapter by chapter, he reveals his client's stories as he turns their fantasies into reality. Now, I will tell you, Eeyore, that um, every chapter is a woman's name. I'm going to give this to you to peruse through and have a little bit of a read of and, and see what you think of it. And you can maybe come back with a uh, initial impression in a bit. And and for you, Burns, I have got, and you're going to like this, my friend, Make Your Own Sex Toys. 50 quick and easy projects with step-by-step pictures. So this is a practical bar. (laughs) Viewers can't see the pictures, but it's hard to know the contents of this book and read the next sentence with a straight face. A practical guide to a better love life. That's amazing. Right, there you go, Burns, that's for you. Um, so I'll give you a minute to have a look at that, and uh, apart from that, what else have I been up to? I mean, when you guys turned up, you saw that I've been 
starting to make more paddles and beaty things. But apart from that, quite a few guys at a couple of local munches recently. So, Burns, what's that book all about that I've just handed you, mate? To be honest, there's, there's some things you can make and there's a wee bit of history at the start. But uh, I'm going to give you a couple of quotes completely devoid of context because that's just funny enough to me. Chinese goats will have welcomed the arrival of ivory cock rings. What? What a quote. And uh, through the section of the knitted woolly warmer. This may seem daunting for the beginner. Why not research more on the internet or in your local library? It will be worth the effort. And come winter, your willy will be thanking you. I can imagine people in the local library searching and researching to make willy warmers. The mind boggles, it truly does. And there's a section on repurposing available storage solutions. And there's a, a wee bit here that says Edwin G. Siebels, an American insurance clerk, invented the vertical file cabinet in 1898. It is not known whether he made his own sex toys. <laughs> I'll leave you with that. There are a couple of bits in there that look interesting, but it certainly seems to be quite tongue-in-cheek. Like, there's a bit in there about, essentially, how to fuck a pumpkin. Yeah, no, I was looking at that just a moment ago, and it's got other... It's got... How would you pronounce that, Burns? Veggie dildo. And it's somebody putting condoms over bananas, carving carrots. I am enjoying the pictures. Maybe we could post them on... Instagram or something, some of our followers. Yeah, check out our Instagram. Um, we're going to have some of the pictures and some extracts of, uh, of these books, I think, going up so that you can share in the baffling and bewildering experience that we're all having right now. True Confessions of a London Spank Daddy. What do you make of it? Okay, well, to give you an idea, my favourite part is the term Spank Daddy, so that might give you an idea of, of my impression of the book. Yeah, not not super impressed with it. The, the chapter's been titled by, you know, each woman's name. It's basically a little book of conquest, really. It kind of seems to me like the author kind of wants to just kind of brag about all these experiences had with young, beautiful women and their, their kind of desire to let him have access to their bums, really. Um, yeah, there's some, some quite interesting ideas in here about how he feels a lot of his clients um, visit him to help them lose weight. That okay, what well, to s- as as a kind of like punish me for eating all this like junk food and, and that that's kind of why they're visiting and a spank daddy is, is to be punished for all the, the bad food choices. But I guess maybe there are people that do that, but I wouldn't maybe. have thought that super I just thought fuck, fuck me, it'd make weight watch just more interesting, you know what I mean? I've read certain extracts of it and it sounds like the brags of a man who isn't overly kink aware of stuff outside of his bubble, mm. potentially outside of what outside of what he knows. Yeah, there there is a a, a little quote here uh, because the first chapter is his visit to a dom. He he does think that if he's going to give out these spankings, that he should experience one uh, himself. So there's there's a line where he's trying to research and find a dom. So so this is the quote. Firstly, I could well believe that most doms were actually rather fat and quite unattractive, and those that weren't would charge a fortune. 
and it kind of goes on to, to list his surprise at being able to find an attractive uh, lady in her late 20s that was charging a good rate. Wow. And um, I'll tell you what other things that made me think it was a bit... He, the author was potentially a bit naive for the wider world of King is because he responds with such surprise to things like getting a book in that involves the woman's partner and husband being there and watching it. Mm. He reacts like it's so unusual within the King's world. It's so bizarre that somebody might want to watch that. And also, um, his sort of schoolboy excitement when he realises one of his clients is bisexual and has a girlfriend. It's kind of like... Yeah, it seems like he didn't really believe that bisexual women actually existed by reading that. That yeah. was quite, quite... I, I did actually check the year of publication on it, um, and it was published in um, 2008, so not... Not the dark not, ages. Yeah, exactly. But maybe some, some kind of lesser modern views in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if you're involved in BDSM in London, it's a capital city, you know, it's a capital city of the UK. It's a major European city. I think if you're involved in any kind of BDSM business and service like this guy uh, is, I think you would be more aware of the industry. Mm. It just seems... It's it's an odd read. You know, it says for true confessions of a spank daddy. So I don't know what the heck it's all about. But yeah, let's let's leave that one there. Um, so I'll talk your discussion for today, Bern. Uh, it came about with... A discussion about whether people incorporate kink into their sex lives and whether people can do kink until they removed from sex. Within a person's favourite life with the partner, it might well be bound up in, from the pun there, but uh, it may well be bound up with sex and what you do in the bedroom but I think when you start going to kink events you will certainly see people playing with people who aren't necessarily a regular sexual partner so it might be that uh, you'll have someone who just is getting spanked by someone and um, they're not romantically linked they're not sexually linked they might be. It's not a prerequisite. I was doing this three and a half weeks ago at a dungeon event. I was uh, involved in an impact scene with a uh, somebody that I think you might know. And that was negotiated beforehand. And that person was neither of my sexual partners. And there were very firm boundaries in place. And it wasn't sexual. And I had a really good time. Uh, I hopefully gave that person a good experience on a bit of a show because you know that's what I like to do and really enjoyed myself on a completely non-sexual level so I, I completely get that aspect exactly what you've described mm. is exactly what I experienced several weeks ago so I, I, I fully understand that. I think partly it boils down to expectations doesn't it and I think this is a, a complaint that comes with certain events particularly when you've got a kind of a crossover between say a swinging event and a BDSM event where there's a certain expectation for some people of I have paid to get into this event, therefore I am owed sex or I expect to get sex or play with someone. And that's not really how things work 
see, you say, I expect to get sex, or I expect to play with somebody, you know, it's, it's the thought train of some people, right? But, that when they have that thought train, I think they're calling, they're going, they're going from play, there's no comma between play and sex. It's the same thing. People that have, often people that have got that mindset, it's the same thing. And that they think that the play will then always lead to sex. I have given you a spanking or a caning or, you know, some wax or whatever, and then we're going to have sex afterwards. Not necessarily then and there, but we are going to have sex afterwards. That maybe, if not lead directly to sex, but to some sort of sexual gratification, like a blowjob or a hand job, or when I've done spanking your ass, I'm going to wank myself off all over it or something like that. You know, um, that there will be a sexual aspect of sexual gratification to the top. That's why the top is doing it. Or, or that's what the bottom wants. Or giving sexual gratification to the other person. Mm, indeed, indeed. Yeah, but, but part of that play involves me, oh, you know, I do forced orgasm play, or I do nipple torture, or clip torture, or whatever the fuck it is. You know, and I don't mean that of any disrespect to people that do that. I'm just no, saying, you know, uh, what, you know, whatever it is. And they think that if we're playing, well, what, I'm going to be doing that because that's play. You know, oh, we're going to be playing together, therefore I'm going to be rubbing your whatever I'm going to be rubbing. Well, we, we were having a bit of a crew discussion uh, before we started recording, and um, we, we did kind of talk about this idea of fantasy. And I think those people that come into events with quite an entitled attitude, I personally think that's driven a lot by fantasy, and kind of they're seeing the event or whatever it is, they're seeing that as a way to fulfil their fantasy. I mean, I guess fantasy is typically, even if it's a non-typical sexual act, that fantasy is is kind of really about sexual fulfilment, whether it's kind of you know actual mm. penetration or just kind of getting a getting mm. sexual thrills from what whatever is, is happening. So, I mean, if we think about like sex and kink, and think about kink and BDSM completely, let's completely separate it for a minute. And I'm saying that as somebody whose kink involves a lot of sex, I am quite a sexual person. I top like I did the other week in a dungeon with no sexual uh, activity involved, and I really enjoyed it. But on the whole, my kink is sexual. But let's just separate those completely for a bit. You know, why why would you do, why would you, what reasons would you think people would have for involving in kinky activities or BDSM-based activities that weren't derived from sexual gratification? So from my point of view, I kind of, you know, have kink activities within my relationship and obviously there are sexual activities that happen within that relationship as well. Um, I mean I personally wouldn't say that every time we do something that, that would be under the kink umbrella that I'm like sexually excited or it's sexual in nature. It can be but um, not, not always. Like sometimes we might just be doing banking and it's just fun. Like, obviously there are times that we'll do a spanking and I will be turned on, mm. but there are also equally times where I'll be giving a spanking and it's literally just kind of fun. Well, going back to our frame that we purchased recently, we did a partial suspension on that, and I believe there's pictures of it on her life. And after that, there was no sexual element to it. You know, there was there was cuddling and aftercare and all, and all that, but it didn't lead any further. You're talking about sort of 
afterwards we cuddled and there was aftercare. And what we're talking about is intimacy. Well, that's, that's the thing. I think that some people get kind of confused between intimacy and sex. Yeah. Because you can have the intimacy and not have a sexual or romantic relationship. And I think the danger is when people confuse the two that you could maybe have someone go to an event, whether it's in London or elsewhere, and they'll go and they'll play with someone, be it someone they've just met or someone that they know, and they will assume a greater significance than there actually is from that event. So one person will go and say, oh, I had this spanking scene with so-and-so, whoever it was, and it was great, I enjoyed it, lovely. That other person will go away saying, right, I am now the daddy of so-and-so, or I am now in a relationship with, or I am now exclusive with. And I think Eeyore and I were discussing earlier about it, and we were saying it kind of has analogues to the vanilla world, where people go out clubbing and meet someone and assume much greater significance than there actually was from, say, like a chance meeting at a club or similar. I just want to bring it back to something you said a moment ago, because I think we could have almost called the episode that instead of kink and sex. And you said people confuse intimacy with sex. And I think that is the real common misconception when it comes to potentially new people within BDSM. You know, people that are people that are just discovering, or people exploring it, be it uh, through social media platforms, or individually, or alone, or in social groups, or events. Uh, however, they're exploring it, you know, sometimes people think intimacy is sex. Sex is intimacy. A good spanking can be cathartic. You know, it can be it can be a real release, both of the spanker and the spankee. Mm. You know, um, impact play. Although, as I'm sure one or two people testify, it can make me raging hard and really up for it. Um, I can also fully enjoy it without sexual penetration, and I find it to be a really good release. And actually, aggressive, aggressive dominance and aggressive play and degradation, I can do um, sadism. I love, you know, my sadism doesn't have to, and that's something I'm discovering more and more as time goes on, actually. Uh, the gratification I get from c- certain people's consensual suffering is as satisfying to me as sex sometimes can be, depending on the sex and how good it is, of course. Um, I've, I've certainly found that rope scenes can be quite emotionally intense, and I'm sure Eeyore's going to back me up on this. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would back you up on that, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, what do you get from an emotionally intense rope scene that is so separate from sexual gratification? Because some people listening to this will think rope bondage, you know, rope rope bondage, tie somebody up, have your wicked way with them, tie somebody up, sexually torture them, you know, sexually tease them. You know, and and that's not an illogical leap for people listening to this to make because of how bondage is portrayed and... I think it's valid to, to have have those, those feelings as well. I just think it's it's kind of not the not the only experience that people could have. So I mean, from my point of view, as like a rope top, um, 
a lot of my satisfaction, and maybe this is because like I'm very like early stages in like a learning journey. Mm-hmm. Um, like a lot of my satisfaction comes from kind of doing something, feel like I did it well, uh, kind of feel that my knowledge is is you know increasing and my skills increasing. So so kind of I guess that's giving a lot of kind of accomplishment type feeling, mm-hmm. and but obviously that definitely. I, you know, can evolve, and, and I'm sure it, it will evolve as, as kind of I become more more experienced. And mm. um, um, I mean, my son can, can probably give his side of things, but uh, from from what I've witnessed uh, with a lot of rope bottoms, uh, there there's quite a sense of kind of like comfort and, mm. and peace and Definitely. tranquility. Yeah. Definitely, it's almost meditative in a way, you know, because you're focused on how it feels and you know being quite still in the moment and depending on what's being tied and all the rest of it but I remember we had one one event we were at where my legs were tied and tied quite tightly and I remarked to Eeyore at the time it felt like an embrace it was almost like being cuddled by the rope and that did feel really quite pleasant, even though it was quite tight, you know, some people might not like that. It did actually feel quite pleasant to me. And then there's the, the very physical closeness of when you're taking off mm. the rope and that, that, that feeling comforted and looked after. You know, you've got someone saying, right, this is okay, I'm, 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 I'm telling you now. Mm. Yeah, I'm not a rigger, but actually one thing I really enjoy about when I do rope and enjoy the intimacy of slowly peeling the rope off your partner as you come to them. Because my rope often is involved with probably quite heavy impact or some sort of aggressive sexual play or just some sort of aggressive play. So, you know, that's just what I'm into. Um, and so that moment afterwards is that moment of calm after the, after the energy. But what you say about, what you said uh, a moment ago made me think about what a couple of people in the past have told me uh, about how they view going to rope jams. And they view it kind of almost, they liken it almost to sort of Pilates or yoga. And, you know, they go for that social aspect and to stretch out. And, you know, they enjoy the feeling, uh, you know, the meditative feeling of it, which is what you said that made me think of that and reminded me of that. So yeah, I can completely see the other reason people would do rope. You know, and it's like other play. We know people are involved in sploshing. I mean, how often, as far as your knowledge, you know, how sexual are people sploshing? Not, not that I'm aware of. I mean, it, it's not something I know a great deal of, so please don't take me at my word on this. You know, it's kind of a, from what I've heard from people, that it's very much, this is fun. We have fun. And it's not, we do this and have sex, it's we do this and have fun. And then you get cleaned up afterwards and then whatever else happens. But it's the actual, that actual act itself is just centred around having fun and having a bit of a laugh. Yeah, I must say, when anybody ever describes it to me, including a friend of ours who organises that sort of event, I've only ever got the impression that it's a quite light-hearted and easy-going, you know, and inclusive fun thing to do Aye. yeah I mean sure a lot of people will be turned on by that and it was probably why a lot of people do it that's fine but to me whenever I see pictures of that I see people having fun not that sex isn't fun because sex is a hell of a lot of fun 
But whenever I see uh, pictures from squashing events or squashing scenes, I see people that look like they're having really good light-hearted fun more often than not. More often than sexualized anyway. Maybe that's because I've only seen a small cross-section and I only have a limited view and I need more experience. And maybe it's a lot more sexy than I'm giving it sexual than I'm giving it credit for. I just don't know. But it, you know, it, does, it does seem like one of those things where sex isn't necessarily intertwined. And like I said before, with my impact, you know, I really get into that. And sadism, for watching people suffer beautifully, is a reward unto itself for me. Uh, without the need for sexual gratification at the end. But if, if we can just go back to that idea of uh, sex and intimacy just, just for a minute. Because um, I know we've kind of mentioned the idea that sometimes people confuse them. Uh, but I think there's also... Uh, maybe not an issue, but but I think if you if you develop intimacy with someone, that's actually very conducive to then lead on to good sex. Mm. So I'm not saying by any means that it has to, um, but I think you know let's maybe use that that uh, example of someone who who goes out and does some squashing. Mm. Well, in in that type of scene, uh, you might very well be naked or in kind of fewer few amounts of clothes. So kind of when you're around people like that, that can kind of build a bit of intimacy. It can build trust. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a bit of a bond. You know, kind of doing those things can be a bonding experience. So I think if you build up intimacy, trust, and and have have those bonding experiences, it, it can progress. It doesn't have to, but I think I think that they it it does set up quite nicely, doesn't it? And if you um, look at kind of off, often common uh, relationship advice for people in relationships who are uh, maybe kind of struggling with with the you know sexual side of their relationship or the romance side of their relationship. Uh, the advice is often to go out and have fun, mm. do new things together, mm. and then uh, kind of what that builds will will kind of cross over into into the sexual side. Come across occasionally views online, and and I'm sure elsewhere as well, where people like I just don't see how how their kink can be separate to sex. I can't see how it's not sexual. Of course, it's sexual, and I just kind of find that to be sort of a really emotionally stunted view on it. I think, yes, for an individual, your kink can completely be sexual. And I'm not saying that would be a stunted view on it. But to sort of not to be able to comprehend anything else is a bit like people who go around saying, I don't understand homosexual. Just because they're straight. You know, just because you're not one thing or you enjoy something else or your your preferences aren't inclined a certain way. But I don't understand that. There's a difference between kind of not understanding it look if you don't like if it's not for you that's fine but just because it's not for you it doesn't mean you can't understand it. it's not a hard concept to grasp is it well something that's quite linked there is the idea of uh, asexuality well as someone who who maybe is a highly sexed person surely you could still understand the idea that someone else might not have any of those feelings so then if you look at it from a point of view of, of someone who is asexual they they could still and then they absolutely do go out and enjoy kink. Yeah, like, and that might help people to I don't know break that concept down a bit. Absolutely. Uh, but I think the same people that turn around and go, yeah, I don't see how you can have kink without sex or sex without kink are the same people who don't who would turn around and say I don't understand what asexual is. I think they'd be the same sort of emotionally stunted or narrow-minded people that if they don't understand sex without kink or kink without sex or whatever. Just sadly, there's too many people like that, not just in the world, but sort of trying to 
engage with people in the kink community who don't hold those views. I think, you know, it's, um, it's a lot. And and I want to touch on S and M as well because I follow quite a lot of people online who are really into heavy S and M play. Uh, if you follow my activity, you will see me enjoying pictures of people that have been beat bloody. Um, you know, uh, restraints with barbed wire on, etc. Um, kidnap and torture scenes is very much what I enjoy viewing and hearing about, learning about and building towards. But if you look at what people do that for, there isn't always sex or rarely sex involved in that. It's about pushing their body and the byproduct of taking such an extreme amount of pain or trauma to the body. What happens when the body takes trauma? Endorphins, adrenaline, endorphins. Everything pumps at 100 miles an hour, and you get a really it was some not everybody, some people get a really big high from pushing themselves that far and that hard. I kind of like extreme sports and things that I like to think. Like, I mean, I'm someone who's absolutely not a, an adrenaline junkie going on any type of fairground ride, I, I that would not be a pleasant experience for me. But other people will go on those rides, and that uh, that adrenaline and the endorphin rush they will enjoy it. Yeah, no, it's exactly like that because uh, sometimes I'm involved in scenes that um, and that have taken quite a bit of planning and thinking up, and those ones tend to be the ones that are deliberately planned to centre around making that person's adrenaline pump and the you know more so than the endorphins flow by doing stuff that keeps them kind of on their toes, never never staying still for more than a few seconds. You know, lots of short, sharp shocks. Um, you know, knocking essentially knocking like a roller coaster. Mm-hmm. You know, like a, you know, like a roller coaster. Where suddenly you go one way and you get thrown another mm-hmm. way, and you feel unsafe. Yeah. And it's that feeling of being unsafe mm-hmm. that can cause the adrenaline to pump really hard. Mm-hmm. And then that, you know, going on a roller coaster is that endorphin high and that adrenaline rush. That, that people get, you know, that some people get, because some people go, and I'm actually one of them. You sit me on a roller coaster, I don't get any of that. In fact, I get nauseous and I want to get off. It, it doesn't, that part of my brain isn't wired to enjoy it. It's when stuff like that happens, I go very calm to deal with, and, and I don't enjoy being flung around like that in the slightest. So, you know, but there are people who would rather be flung around like that within a scene than actually have maybe sexual gratification. Mm. I've certainly come across them, um, you know, play partners where although sex has been involved or could be involved, the main thing is they that rush, that uncertainty, that danger, that adrenaline kick. Mm. So that's another reason to think of sex as very separate things. It's interesting. And, you know, going back to the intimacy and sex, the difference between intimacy and sex, and having dabbled in the swing scene a bit that's a place where you look at it in the reverse you know we're talking about in the bdsm context Mm. where we can have intimacy without sex Mm. if you go into the swing context you're more than likely to have the sex without the intimacy i can see that i can see i can see how that kind of would would work yeah and, and and if actually if you're on if you're on the swing scene and you talk to people about BDSM and dominance, you have, I've personally experienced a very different type of conversation wanting to be had by the person I'm talking to 
is in the dominance is related to rough sex right and not the act of control generally mm. right okay you know when when i've looked on swing sites and had interactions on hookup sites and swing sites and you know you know when we when we start talking about bdsm and dominance it the, the talk is it's rough sex so would you say we say that's potentially because on the swing scene it's much more likely to be a short-term event you, you, you know you meet up you have sex that's it so there's not going to be any kind of scope really for behavioral control but there might be in a more longer term relationship swing sites i i see it like quick fix sex. i think it's because people in the swing scene are in the swing scene for sex mm. so therefore uh, anything they encounter within the swing scene or already involves sex so if they encounter bdsm within the swing scene it involves sex because they're there for sex in the first place right. So I think that's probably, whereas other platforms where you might meet people and start talking about BDSM and might not initially talk about sex because the platform isn't solely for sex or the way you've met isn't in a sexually charged environment. Because be it person to person, face to face, or online, a sexually charged environment, anything you start talking about is probably going to, you know, allude to sex in Mm -hmm. some way. So... Mm -hmm. A swinger site is a sexually charged environment. People are there for sex. Mm. So anything that comes up is likely to have a sexual undertone to it. Mm. And going back to the more S&M element, I think we've seen a few documentaries, haven't we, where there'll be a pro-dome and they'll be talking about how their play or their clients, etc., there is specifically no sex and of course that is a more transactional approach but I think it can still apply you know oh definitely I, I would really agree with that I think that's kind of where where the disconnect is isn't it is because we're, we've been talking about relationships and so on but not everyone that is at a play event or whatever will be in a relationship and indeed they might even be in a relationship but the person that they're doing the scene with might not be part of that relationship kind of a couple of different things going on there there's the the kink and sex within a relationship and the kink and sex outside of a relationship so it's it's a couple of different things going on there a couple of different ways and approaches I think, you know, negotiations and communications are ever really important because I think it's okay that your if your kink absolutely has to involve sex. I think it's absolutely fine, like if if as a woman your kink absolutely has to involve you getting a penis stuck inside you at the end of the night. You know, I think, you know, if you're a man and your kink absolutely involves you shooting your load by the end of the night, that is also absolutely fine. And, you know, we shouldn't, you know, belittle or demonise people like that. And we're not in any way, shape or form. But if you communicate with people, then you know if you're compatible. Because then you get rid of that expectation. You do away with the expectations by having good communication earlier on before you build up any expectations as to whether or not any potential play may, may or may not lead to sexual gratification. Well, what I was just thinking of, actually, when you were talking, 
is this distinction between having what you typically class as sex versus a sexual desire. So you could have a scene with someone where maybe both participants in the scene are feeling sexually aroused, but it doesn't lead to sex. Um, but then that that's kind of maybe a different situation to two people in a scene who are not feeling any sexual uh, desire at all. So in some in some cases it might be an, an agreement that this is where it stops, and in other cases it's just well it's 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 just there is literally zero sexual element. And here's here's a really weird one as well, right? So a real life example, not so long ago, me and my girl were doing a scene that we planned and it involved her being shackled down and I was whipping her with a snake whip and also training the whip around her body. Now I did not touch her with my hand, I did not touch her with my penis, mm. I did not touch her with any part of me, but during that scene she orgasms twice. Mm. Now if she didn't orgasm, bloody show off, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 but, but seriously there's a point to that, right? There's a point to that, yeah? If during that scene she didn't orgasm, would that scene have been a non-sexual play? The fact that I didn't try and invoke sexual play upon her, I didn't touch her, molest her, or insert anything upon her, or inside her. <laughs> um, yeah. you no, know, but you, you know, but you know what I mean. Like, would would does that make it? Does that make it sex? Does that make? Does that inherently make what? it sex? And if she hadn't have orgasmed, and I'd done exactly the same physical practices, does that mean it wouldn't have been sex? But then, how how intentional was the, the sexualized say sexualized but how intentional was that that touch of the areas that kind of led to that not 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 it was it was designed to be sensation based okay it was an un, it was an, it was a very surprising and unpredictable result on both parts it was designed to be a sensation play with my partner blindfolded and uh, an air of um, anticipation because I didn't know if I was going to be trailing a whip across certain parts slowly or coming down with a hard strike. I see. So it's meant to be all about that was meant to be all about anticipation, and that was the aim of it. Now, if there hadn't been orgasms, orgasms involved, you can very, very safely and securely say that that was non-sexual play. I had clothes on. You know, my clothes stayed on. So does that make it? Do you know what I mean? Where does where does that leave us? I think it's very difficult to say, isn't it? But I'm going to throw out a cliche, which is, well, the brain is our, our biggest sex organ. And I think maybe maybe we can get a bit too hung up on the idea of certain acts being sex. So kind of um, like penis in vagina or whatever, like kind of we can, we can maybe stick too rigidly to definitions that these sex acts are sex. Yeah. But... Uh, like in kind of that scene that, that you've just been uh, telling us about, um, well, I mean, like, to me, that, that's kind of sex, isn't it? It's kind of just a different version. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think there's definitely a, oh, a grey areas and, and, you know. But is there any room for grey areas when you're trying to negotiate something that is essentially involves consent as well? It's a, you know, could, could, you know, could you imagine, Mike, could you imagine yeah, what I described? Mm. Could you imagine if I'd done that at a dungeon mm. and, and I'd, with somebody, maybe maybe with somebody I knew about as well as I know you, mm. not with an actual partner, but just with somebody I'd feel comfortable topping, and we agreed 
no no sexual contact yet that happened can they then say you made me do that and feel like that's a violation what, what do you know what would what would if they wanted to be you know it's, I think it's, it's an interesting point it's an interesting point you know because i'll be like well hang on a minute i didn't really i didn't i don't control your body we i i acted within what we negotiated for an impact topping scene and that was a product of the way your body reacted to something we had planned that we had agreed at the time wasn't sexual my view on on that would be that um as you physically didn't cross any boundaries it was an unexpected result uh, that that neither party anticipated but should really enjoy um <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah i i think that's quite different to overstepping boundaries yeah. i mean i think it definitely would, would be worth a conversation afterwards and to someone it could be quite maybe not worrying but but you know if you kind of you know if you haven't been uh, like physically touched and you're having an orgasm that could be quite a uh, a strange experience for you and it might be something that you kind of did want to kind of discuss with with maybe the person that you were in the scene mm. with or other people but i'm sorry i'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent but we we have dabbled very very slightly with hypnosis mm. and something that that comes up quite a lot with hypnosis is the idea of being able to orgasm like on voice command like again without any physical touch so that would be that would be deliberate sexual kink but without physical touch mm. yeah no i, I see what you, you know. uh, i think i read an article on that very thing and it said that the orgasm on command wasn't quite the same mm. as like it was definitely an orgasm but it wasn't quite the same as the uh, orgasm that you get say using a vibrator or other yeah. sexualized uh, contact a bit like asking for a pint of coke and then sipping it and realizing it's pepsi something like that not quite but I, maybe um but it was, it was quite an interesting thing so i don't know maybe we, we can uh, share a link to that yeah, yeah. via the usual channels and uh, people can have a read and see what they think themselves pet play yeah. i used to be an owner I, you know, I used to be an owner, and you, we were a couple. There were times when we engaged in certain aspects of pet play, not hugely, but to an extent. Um, and that wasn't that wasn't necessarily sexual, you know. So there are there's uh, you know there's loads of stuff we haven't even begun to explore. Mm. To be fair, well, you know, plenty of stuff. I mean, I think one of the things with any of this stuff that we're discussing, with the amount of time. We're dedicating to the podcast, right? The episode we did on toys. Somebody said, "Oh, it feels like you've only barely scratched the surface." And it's like, we know, like you could do whole series of podcasts just on toys or just on something, and people do. Mm. There's stuff out there where it's just dedicated books and books about this stuff. So we're not saying. That's the definitive, you know, encyclopedic knowledge here. We're just discussing and kind of getting some stuff out there and some food for thought for people and then people can carry on the discussion. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not even saying that either of us or any of us are remotely right in what we're saying. It is purely it is purely opinion and conjecture, isn't it? It's just, you know, us shooting the shit 
about things that pop up in our lives and come to mind. I think actually that'd be that'd be an interesting one to explore and look at. But yeah, no, no, good pet play is de- is definitely going back to that. Pet play is definitely another one that doesn't necessarily involve. So many of them don't necessarily involve sex. But you know, um, yeah, no, I think we've pretty much exhausted that one, there, haven't we? I think that's quite a nice little place to wrap up. Yeah, indeed. I mean, we have, when I say exhausted, we haven't exhausted it in the slightest. But I think in terms of for this show and today, we can leave it there. Okay, Hans, what have we got this month in the Encyclopedia of Unusual Sex Practices? <laughs> it is indeed the Encyclopedia of Unusual Sex Practices. And this month we are on to E. Are you ready? Jeez, okay, what is it? Erotographomania. Right, okay. Okay, break that word down. Erotographomania. What do you think I'm talking about? Graphs that include drawings. Close. Think autograph. Writing. Yes. Erotographomania. So erotic writing. So is it, close. Is it like a compulsion for writing erotica? Close. <laughs> You're so close. So close. In fact, this makes this, this section even more fun, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> okay, go, go on, give us it, what is it? Erotographomania refers to the strong desire to write love letters or poems. This was more common before the invention of a telephone. Now that is very sweet and has a connection to our very last segment, isn't it? Indeed it does. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that a wee bit later. Okay, erotomania. I've never heard of this one. Erotomania. No, you drawn a blank? Okay, I'll give it to you. <laughs> I will. Erotomania. Right, here we go. Erotomania, in brackets, abnormally strong sexual desire, is a term that has come to refer to someone who develops an overwhelming conviction amounting to delusional belief that someone with whom he or she has little or no contact with is deeply in love with him or her. So it's the, it's the conviction, it's a strong conviction and belief that there is somebody that has very little or no contact with them, but they believe they are deeply in love with them. So kind of like people obsess over celebrities and that kind of yeah. stalkery kind of behaviour. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, whenever he's talking on TV, he's talking directly to me. But you know, I mean, when you're you're absolutely delusionally convinced that someone loves you, mm. um, despite that you you don't really know them very well. Mm. Uh, has anyone seen the Joker? No, I've not, I've not seen that. We've been watching the, that Netflix show, You. Okay, so I won't give anything away for you, but Erotomania reminds me of one of the relationships or pseudo-relationships between two characters on the film, The Joker, okay. or with Joaquin Phoenix. I don't know. But yeah, so that, that reminds me of that. Delusions of amorous communication, which have not been initiated by the patient, that's but, definitely like that show, isn't it? It is, yeah. So, so you on Netflix, I think, is it an example of that? Right. Great show, by the way. Really been enjoying that. I, I'm gonna have to have you read this one for me, Burns. What does that say? Just that title? Sayers. Sayers, like the end spelled like voyeurs, isn't it? Right. Sayers. Sayers were men whose services were retained by Parisian brothels. It was their responsibility to fondle the prostitutes and engage in overt sexual behaviour in front of the timid male clients. This relaxed the clients enough for them to participate themselves. This is the same psychology used by some casinos 
which employs shrills to encourage others to gambo. Gambo? Gamble. <laughs> Gamble. It sounds like some odd action hero Gambo. set in a casino. <laughs> but yeah, SES. You know, that was the tongue that was the uh, tongue twister, yeah I managed to mess up saying the word gamble. There we go. We'll have one more from we'll have one more for me before I put this down because I'm looking forward to your section to be fair. Oh we end E with one of my favourites. And a favourite for many. Exhibitionism. We all know what this is, don't we? Aff and do whip it out. <laughs> An exhibitionist or sociophile is one who drives erotic play. I've never heard it called a sociophile before. Um, one who derives erotic pleasure from the displays of genitals or other body parts that are normally considered taboo. <laughs> I said it like that. Um, exhibitionism is common among primates and humans as foreplay. The exhibitionists, however, usually expose themselves without the consent of their audience or the intent of consummating the act. Historically, exhibitionism has been an essential part of certain fertility rites or worship services to the gods who themselves are represented with exposed organs. Fertility gods are still worshipped in parts of the world. East Indian priests during the early 20th century. I'll pack this in in a minute. I'll just finish this bit. East Indian priests during the early 20th century would walk through the streets naked ringing bells to call out female devotees to their homes. Women would then pray reverence to the priest's reproductive organ by embracing it. Embracing it of what body part is the question? Cool. That's the end of the encyclopedia, so I'm off to India to become a priest and get my tackle out. Oh, right, Burns, what you got for us? Right, so we mentioned, after we mentioned, that there was a link to Giaconotti earlier. But we're going back again to the literary origins of Giaconotti, and we take a look at the letters of famed Irish author James Joyce to his partner Nora Barnacle and an excerpt from the letter on the 3rd of December 1909. As you know, dearest, I never use obscene phrases in speaking. You have never heard me, have you, utter an unfit word before others. When men tell in my presence here filthy or lecherous stories, I hardly smile, yet you seem to turn me into a beast. Evidence from another letter. Can I just ask you a question? Go on. So, to confirm, these are letters that he wrote to his wife whilst apart. Aye. Okay. Then, evidence that she does indeed turn him into a beast can be found in the letter on the 8th of December 1909. My sweet little whorish Nora, I did as you told me, you dirty little girl, and pulled myself off twice when I read your letter. I am delighted to see that you do like being fucked arseways. Yes, now I can remember that night when I fucked you for so long backwards. It was the dirtiest fucking I ever gave you, darling. My prick was stuck up in you for hours, fucking in and out of your upturned rump. I felt your fat, sweaty buttocks under my belly 
and saw your flushed face and mad eyes. At every fuck I gave you, your shameless tongue come bursting out through your lips, and if I gave you a bigger, stronger fuck than usual, fat, dirty farts came spluttering out of your backside. You had an arse full of farts that night, darling, and I fucked them out of you. Big, fat fellows, long, windy ones, quick little merry cracks, and lots of tiny little naughty farties ending in a long gush from your hole. It is wonderful to fuck a farting woman when every fuck drives one out of her. I think I would know Nora's fart anywhere. I think I could pick hers out in a room full of farting women. It is a rather girlish noise, not like the wet, windy fart which I imagine fat wives have. It is sudden and dry and dirty, like what a bold girl would let off in fun in a school dormitory at night. I hope Nora will let off no end of her farts in my face, so that I may know their smell also. You like flatulence, didn't they? Well, there we go. Wow. So, you got one more fluff? I was almost tripping over the words there, you know, as you, as you kind of go along with it. Like, you got one more? I, I, I love this. From 16th of December, 1909. My sweet darling girl. So sweet. At last you write to me. You must have given that naughty little cunt of yours a most ferocious frigging to write me such a disjointed letter. As for me, darling, I am so played out that you'd have to lick me for a good hour before I could get a horn stiff enough even to put into you. I have done so much and so often that I am afraid to look to see how that thing I had is after all I have done to myself. Oh! The fucking must all be done by you, darling, as I am so soft and small now that no girl in Europe except yourself would waste her time doing the job. <laughs> and it just it goes on and on. What was he known for? What sort of books were poems? Well, he was a, a famous Irish author, you know, Ulysses. Okay. Uh, Finnegan's Wake, you know. Oh, right. Uh, Dubliners was another one of his. So he didn't famous. write smart. He didn't write. No, sm- no, no, not at all. Wow, wow. People in their everyday vanilla lives, compared to what they like behind closed doors, because this guy was a famous Irish author. He wrote stuff that would be completely disconnected from the letters that he wrote his wife. Um. Well, he mentions in, in that letter, doesn't he, about how she, she wouldn't kind of usually hear him kind of, you know, swear. Absolutely. Yeah. We, are, we are sometimes very different people in private with our partners than we are publicly, and especially if we're on a stage publicly like an author or a big fucking politician or, or anything like that. You know? well, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Like, I mean, if you're, uh, if you're in the dungeon... Riding somewhere rotten, you know. Oh, I'm a dirty whore and all that. You don't want to do that when you're at your work, no. are you? Well, I think we should probably start to round up there, don't you guys? Hey. Yeah. Uh, final thoughts for this episode. I tell you what, I'm taking away from this is I came to this episode thinking about the separation of kink and sex, and I'm actually coming away thinking about the separation of intimacy and sex and how they differ you know and and less thinking about the separation of kink and sex 
and thinking about intimacy and sex and, and that's what I'm coming away pondering a little further than than I had been doing prior to coming to this episode. And I think it's also important for people to manage their expectations of what they want out of both their relationships and events that they go to. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, definitely. And to communicate as well. That's key. There's a quite good FetLife um, writing that were, was kind of trending uh, earlier this week about how um, some people use the, the scene as a way to get sex. So they will present themselves to someone who's interested um, and what wants to kind of learn more and get into BDSM. But actually, they're just seeing it as a way to, to get sex. Yeah, I think when you surround yourselves with the right people and have the, when I say the right people, but level-headed, reasonable people without an agenda towards you and engage in conversations with them both online and offline, you know, face-to-face, once you start doing that, I think it then becomes very easy to spot those whose agenda is purely getting their end away. Mm. Um, so, yeah, because people go into these things with expectations, they don't. Or sometimes not knowing what to expect, they sometimes think maybe that's normal. But anyway, yeah, should we leave it there, guys? I think that's quite a nice place to leave it. Yeah, so thank you for joining us for episode 6 of Bearing Breathe, a BDSM podcast. It's been great to have you all listening, and we'll be back in a month or so with another episode, won't we, guys? Indeed we will. Good stuff. Mm-hmm.